So this week we open the uh, fifth and final uh, Chumash of the Torah, Chumash Tevarim. Um, I don't know that we will get further than the first uh, few psukim because there's uh, a great deal of discussion that surrounds them. But to the extent that it is introductory and representative of the totality of Chumash Devarim, certainly time well spent. And indeed, <coughs> the discussion is not long in coming because it begins as soon as we read the words these are the words that Moshe spoke El Kol Yisrael to Yisrael in all of the locations that are specified and detailed in the Pasuk. And the background to this discussion really takes the form of <coughs> considering two statements of Chazal in the Gemara concerning the nature of Chumash Devarim and seeing how they live side by side and are harmonized and synthesized and what they teach us about this uh, final Chumash. <coughs> so we begin with the Gemara in Perak and of course Perak is thus known because it begins famously with the words Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Chedek Lolam that's, that's the klal, the general rule. All of Israel have a chelik. <coughs> it might take them a while to get there, and maybe there's different types of chelics, but everyone has a chelik. That is the rule. However, as the Mishnah goes on to say, and we're familiar with that Mishnah, or at least the first part of the Mishnah, the part that we quoted, as the intro- intro- introduction to Pirkei Avos, which uh, is said on the Shabbos afternoon, but the Mishnah does have a continuation where it lists the exceptions to the rule. And as much as it's encouraging to hear the, the general rule, it's also of the essence to see what are the exceptions. And one of the exceptions is if a person... Says Ein Torah If a person denies the divine origin of Torah, and the Gemara elaborates, that's a Mishnah so far in the beginning of Perek Chelik. But the Gemara in Daf Tzadik Tesav and Aleph elaborates and and is very very firm on this point that if someone would say that I believe that the entire Torah is from heaven, is from Hashem, with the exception of this one pasuk that Moshe put in, that person is still in the category of someone who's, who maintains Ein Torah Min Hashemayim. Because <coughs> the requirement of the belief in Torah Min Hashemayim is 100%. Not 99% and not 99.9%. So the klal that comes out from this uh, Gemara is that whatever the opening words of Chumash Devarim mean when they say Eilah Devarim Moshe, 
But Chumash Tevarim is no different than the first four Chumashim. And each and every Pasuk within the Chumash <coughs> is Minashamayim. And to say otherwise is a very, very severe infraction. Essentially, therefore, all five Chumashim are the same in this respect in terms of their, their divine origin, uh, as emphatically stated by that Gemara in Sanhedrin. However, there is another statement in the Gemara elsewhere. In Maseches Megillah, in the fourth parak. And it describes, or more correctly, it discusses what we call the tochacha, what it calls the klalos, but what, curses, but what we call the tochacha. And the tochacha is, is where the Torah says all the good things that will happen at length if, if we do the right thing and all the bad things, heaven forbid, that will happen if we do the wrong thing. We're familiar with it as the tochacha. The Balkuri typically reads it in a, a somewhat quicker and in a lower voice, and there are two of them. The first is in the end of Chumash Bayikra, Parshas Bechukosai, and the second is halfway through Chumash Devarim in Parshas Kisava. At any rate, <coughs> the Mishnah in Maseches Megillah, because the halachas of Kriyas HaTorah are actually in Maseches Megillah, as is the way of the Mishnayas, uh, it uh, is a uh, progression of the discussion there. And the Mishnah states that one, can, one calls people up to the Torah, and in principle, you can make a break wherever you want. However, ein mafsikin beklolos. But in the klolos, again, in the Mishnah's terminology, the curses, in our parlance, the tochachon, within the tochachon, ein mafsikin, you can't interrupt to call someone to the Torah. <coughs> it's got to be heard all the way through. And the Gemara provides a couple of reasons as to why that is. Why can't you interrupt in the, in the Tokacha? Well, one reason, says the Gemara very simply, is because you're, you're hearing Musr. And, and if you're in the middle of hearing ethical exhortation from the Torah, that's not appropriate to interrupt and call someone to, to take a break and make a Mishabeirach and uh, call someone else up. And uh, you need to hear it through. It quotes the Pasuk in Mishle, Musar Hashem Bini Altim As. Do not be disdainful or rejecting of Musar. And there's no, uh, I wouldn't say it's the more um, uh, demonstration of being rejecting of Musar, but just simply to take a break and call someone else up and etc. Alternatively, <coughs> the, the Gemara says, because whoever, at least by the time, by the time of the Gemara, well, the um, one makes a bracha when one comes up to the Torah, and a time of calamity is not is not appropriate for for for, for blessing. Either way, be that as it may, whatever the reason may be, we see <coughs> that the the Mishnah says that one doesn't interrupt in the tochacha. You have to hear it through. The Gemara makes a qualification. And I believe it's easy not to be aware of this because we do not practice this. But the Gemara says that actually, of the two tochachas that we have, have referred to, namely, the one in the end of Ayikra and the one in Chumash Devarim, the problem 
of stopping with the tochacha, and the idea that we do not do so only applies to the first tochacha, not the second. Very interesting. Now, once again, we have to explore why, but in preface, uh, we typically, I mean, we have our alias in any case uh, laid out for us, but we do not break even in the second one. We do not stop even for the second, within the second one. One could if one wanted, but of course, the person that you call halfway through the tochacha uh, in Chumash Devarim is three days away from starting their own shul. So, for obvious reasons, <coughs> Shalom bias, we see it through. But in principle, you could. And one of the reasons that the Gemara gives, after all, if it's so objectionable to interrupt in the Tochacha in Chumash Vayikra, why is it not so, significantly less so, for the Tochacha in Chumash Devarim? I mean, they are effectively the same thing. One is a ritty reiteration of the other, but, but how can they be so different in this respect? And the Gemara answers, <coughs> shockingly, for us, they're not the same. The Tochacha in Chumash Vayikra, Moshe said it, Mipiha Gvura. Moshe said it from Hashem. You, don't, you, you cannot interrupt when you're giving, being given Musa from Hashem. I mean, it's, it's halachically objectionable. But the Tochacha in Chumash Devarim, Moshe Mipi Atzbo Amara. Moshe said it from himself. So, of course, one should be uh, maximally respectful, but there's no halachic objection to breaking in the middle. So the Gemara has just stated <coughs> that the two tochachas, the one Vayikra and the one in Devarim, are not the same. <coughs> the one in Vayikra is Mipi HaGevura, from Hashem. The one in Devarim is Moshe Mipi Atzmo. And we undoubtedly need to contend with that statement. And we should know further with the idea or the implications, the extent of, of what we mean when we say that the second tochacha came from Moshe means <coughs> it's not even a reiteration of the first tochacha. Sometimes there's changes. Sometimes changes for the better. Rashi, for example, this is probably the most uh, uh, striking uh, example of this. There's two tochachas about no rain. Pardon me. In both tochachas there's a pasuk about no rain. But the analogies are flipped. Meaning, in Parshas Bechokosai, that is to say in Chumash Vayikra, so the pasuk says that the heavens will be like uh, iron and the, the earth will be like copper. Shemeichem kebarzel ve'artzechem kenechusha. Okay, meaning <coughs> no rain, nothing doing, nothing producing. But in Chumash Devarim, in Parshas Kisavo, in the second Tochacha, Moshe flips it round and says that the heavens will be like Nechoshes and the land will be like Barzal, that the heavens will be like copper, the land will be like iron. So the metals have been flipped. But what's behind it? And Rashi says, because Moshe wants to make things easier for the Jewish people, as much as they, there, has, there may come a time where there needs to be a tochacha, but here's Moshe, he re represents the Jewish people, he's part of the Jewish people, he's pleading their cause the whole time, and he's trying to modify the, the tochacha. By doing what? 
What difference does it make if the, if the, the heavens are copper and the, the earth is iron or vice versa? Says Rashi, it makes a difference. It's not a world of difference, but it's, it's a mollification. <coughs> because copper exudes moisture somewhat, while iron does not. And therefore, the original formulation of the metals was worse. Because it says the heavens will be iron. In other words, nothing from the heavens. Nothing, not even minimal rainfall. The earth, on the other hand, even in the absence of, of rain, will exude a moisture which will only serve to rot the crops. And Moshe seeks to reverse that arrangement. And he says that the heavens will be like copper, which means some rain will come, not a lot, but some, and then the earth will be like iron. In other words, uh, it won't exude any corrosive moisture for the crops. So, and Rashi says this, but what that means, and we mention this only to underscore what seems to be said when we do say that Moshe says the second we can actually detect changes, and there are other changes between the two tochachas. Needless to say, this entire situation is extremely troubling, because we go back to the first, to the Gemara in Chelek, to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, and it seems that this tochacha Gemara, about the first and second tochachas, is saying what the Gemara elsewhere says you can't say. It's saying the unsayable. In Chelek, we were told, if a person says that Moshe said even one verse in the Torah comes from Moshe, you're out. That is objectionable in the extreme. And the Gemara itself seems to say that about the entire section of the Tochacha. And who knows what else in Chumash Devarim? Moshe mipi atzmo amar. Needless to say, we need to try and uh, find the, the resolution and the synthesis here. And in fact, it comes from, or there's, there's many approaches, but what I would call the, the classic approach comes from the Abarbanel. Abarbanel, in his introduction to Chumash Devarim, and Abarbanel says, to understand how these two statements of the Gemara go together, we need to realize that they are not actually talking about the same thing. For indeed, when everyone sees something in the Torah, there are two questions to ask. Question number one, who said this? And question number two, on whose authority is this written in the Torah? Those are two separate questions. The first question is, where did these words come from? Who said them originally? The second question is, on who decided that they should be part of the Torah? Now, we'll start with the answer to the second question, because it's easier. Because it can only ever be Hashem who decides and authorizes something to be part of the Torah. But if, if we then try and say that, or take that back a stage and say, so then everything in the Torah originated from Hashem on a straightforward level, that's not so. Because the Torah records things that people said. So, of course, one could take a, a mystical approach and, and, and so on and so forth. But in, in terms of a, a linear, his chronological approach, if someone is recorded in the Torah 
as saying something and we ask, well, who said these words? The answer is, they did. And the Torah is telling you that they did. And some of them are not particularly righteous individuals. Because the Torah quotes not only from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, but the Torah also quotes things from Paro, and Lavan, and Esav, and Bilam, and Dosan, and Aviram, and <coughs> all of their words are, are in the Torah. Now, <coughs> if that's the case, then, says Abarbanel, we just need to have a clear picture of what we're discussing. Because if it's possible that there are words in the Torah that were originally said by Esav, but the Torah saw fit to include them, and there are words in the Torah that were originally said by Paro, and the Torah saw fit to include them, it's equally possible that there were words that were originally said by Moshe. Moshe is no less eligible to have his words included in the Torah, Lahavdil than Paro and Lavan, etc. But of course, the only one who can make that decision and authorize whose words are in the Torah is Hashem. And that is how the two Gemaras work together. In other words, <coughs> when the Gemara in Megillah, talking about the two Tochachas, says that the first Tochacha comes from Hashem, the second Tochacha comes from Moshe, yes, these are Moshe's words. And in some, sometimes Moshe initially was, or, or in his own words, was looking to even mitigate against the original Tochacha, make things a bit easier for the Jewish people. That may well be. And it makes it a different type of Tochacha. And there are halachic implications for interrupting the Tochacha, etc. But none of this touches on the, the question dealt with in the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Which, which talks about Torah min as if to say the Torah as we have it, on whose authority is it the way that it is? <clears throat> For there, the answer cannot be Moshe. Moshe can say the second Tochacha, but he is never able to decide to put it into the Chumash. That's something that only Hashem can do, as per the Gemara in, in Perik Chelek. So, <clears throat> certainly a very, very important um, discussion here with regards to the nature of Chumash Devarim within the totality, within the framework of, of the Torah. And in fact, there is a little bit more. Because if we go back to Pasuk Aleph, and all we've done so far is read the first few words, but let's uh, read a little bit more <coughs> and see what happens. These are the words that Moshe spoke to Yisrael. Okay. The rest of the, without giving too much away, the rest of the Pasuk is a series of names of places. The plains of the, of the Yardin, Bamidbar, in the wilderness, Barava, Molsuf, opposite Yamsuf, Ben Parin, Ben Tofel, Velavan, Bechatzeros, Vedizahav. Some of these names might be familiar, Paran, Yamsuf, uh, etc., others perhaps uh, less so. But basically, the Pasuk is telling us that Moshe said these things in those places. The problem is, we are already in the final station before entering the land of Israel. We're already in the plains of Moab. 
So it's a little late to be saying these things anywhere else. We've moved on from those places. But that is why the Malbim, and of course everyone gets involved in the beginning of Chumash Devarim on this question, the Malbim explains that what, and we'll see Rashi has a different approach, we'll see that quite soon, <coughs> but the Malbim explains that when the Pasuk lists all of these places, even though the Jewish people are no longer in any of those places, except for the final one, by this stage, right, Eva HaYardin, it mentions them because what it's saying is the contents of at least the beginning of Chumash Tevarim, or the, the uh, exhortational side of Chumash, of Chumash Tevarim, the, the Musr and the Tochecha, these are things that were originally said in all of these places. They're not being said there now. Which means that when Moshe talks about the Egel, that means these are things that he said at the time that the Jewish people made the Egel. And when he, he talks about the Paran, which is the sending of the Miraculum, this is what he said when they, they sent the Miraculum. So Posuk Aleph, in a sense, gives us the historical background, so to speak, to these uh, speeches of Moshe when they were originally said. However, were it not for Hashem to then take it to the, to, to, to the next step and authorize their inclusion in the Torah, they wouldn't be in the Torah. We may have Midrashim about them, we may have Mesorahs about them, but, but of, how do they come to be part of the Torah? That is in Pasuk Gimel. In the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first of the month, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, what we call, Dibeir Moshe el Bnei Yisrael, Moshe spoke <coughs> to Yisrael in accordance with the fact that Hashem told him to. Moshe gave over these words in, the, in, in, in response to, in accordance with Hashem's instructions that he do so with the intent of including them in the Torah. In other words, the relationship between Pasuk Aleph and Pasuk Gimel is Pasuk Aleph describes them as they were originally said by Moshe and tells us where they were originally said by Moshe. Pasuk Gimel says all of that is now being restated in uh, fulfillment of Hashem's uh, instructions to do so with the view to, to including them into the Torah. So, that, so according to the Malbim, these two psukim actually chronicle the transition from, from Moshe's words to now being Hashem-endorsed words as part of the Torah. And indeed, the Malbim goes one step further on this point. And we'll see if there's room to go one step further beyond that. Because Pasuk Gimel says, if we may ask the question, Moshe originally said them, and Hashem is telling him to say them again. We very carefully ask the question, is there any difference between how Moshe originally said them and how Hashem is telling him to say them again? In other words, when Pasuk Gimel, if you hear the, the nuance that the, the Malbim has alluded to, when Pasuk Gimel says that in the 40th year, in the 11th month, Moshe spoke, in accordance with everything that Hashem commanded him to do. 
So what does that mean, those words, as Hashem commanded him to do? Did Hashem say, say it again? Or maybe Hashem commanded him to say it in a certain way, which is perhaps not absolutely the way he originally said it. And we, we may ne- never even know exactly how he said it. All we know <coughs> is how Hashem told him to say it. Now, what would, th- what would that mean? So the Malbim, or at least as far as I've, I've seen the Malbim, it relates to what, what one could call um, aspects of, of Moshe's words. For example, even a simple example, the order in which he discussed things. As we know, Moshe discusses events, or more correctly, Moshe in Chumash Devarim discusses events, not in the order that they happened, but of course, I will give an example in just a second, but of course, chronologically, he, he will necessarily or naturally have discussed them in the order they occur. Case in point, the very first topic or event, episode, to be uh, opened up for discussion by Moshe and for, for rebuke is the Chet of the Miraglim. It's the spies. It is not the Chet Eagle. We've, we've raised this question on a number of occasions. It really is very interesting that, that he first chooses to discuss the later sin of sending spies, and only subsequently in Parshas Eikev will then begin to, 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 to discuss the, the Chet Egel. So the order in Chumash Devarim is the opposite of the chronological order. We must assume, or naturally assume, that uh, when Moshe originally gave them Tochacha at the site of the, of the Egel, it's when they made the Egel, and then subsequently the Miraklim. So the order of his presentation here is reversed. On whose authority? On Hashem's authority. That's part of Kachol Asher Tziva Hashem Oso. Hashem says, repeat, but it's the way that I am telling you, for, for the reasons that then need to be discovered. The, the order can be different. And moreover, the Malbim um, states that there, are th- that there were things added to the second Tochacha, as per Hashem's instructions, which were not in the original Tochacha, for, for, again, for various reasons. He gives an example. Um, we never hear before Chumash Devarim that the idea to send the spies was the people's idea. If you, if you learn through the verses in Parsha Shalach Lecha, you can know Parsha Shalach Lecha by heart you still will have no inkling that the original impetus for, for sending the spies came from the people. You only find that out when you, when you learn Parshas Devarim, it's in Perik Aleph, Pasuk Kaf Gimel, Batikravuna, like says Moshe, you all came to me and you sent. And the Malbim says very, perhaps very straightforwardly, that there were certain things that maybe Moshe, because he's giving them the Tochacha at the scene of the crime, at the time, he, maybe he didn't feel it was necessary to mention. They're, they're known. Everyone knows that. He needs to, to give Tochachai in terms of the, the points that need to be addressed. But later on, and don't forget, these are actually the children of the original generation. So they might not know. Maybe certain things which didn't need to be said when you were addressing that first generation, but they do need to be said when, you t- when you're talking to the second generation. So things are added in. Where does that come from? On whose authority? Says Pasuk Gimel, Kuchol Hashem Oso Alehem. So this is the very important um, addition, qualification of the Malbim. It's not that 
everything whatever you heard before you'll hear now not necessarily there could be things added who knows if there's things even though that, that what Hashem says to, to leave out we don't know the one question that the Malbim again as far as I've seen does not address directly because so far we've spoken about in terms of comparing the original speeches with what we find in Chumash Devar. We've compared them in terms of order of topics and contents, things spoken about. But perhaps the most delicate question is, are, but, but okay, the order might be different, and maybe there's different things, but at least the things that were in both, are they said in exactly the same way? Is the phraseology exactly the same? Is the terminology exactly the same? Or did that also undergo a certain formatting as per Kasher Hashem as Moshe? Hashem told Moshe, you said it that way, but I want you to put it into the Torah, but I want you to say it this way. Or no? Or do we say that all of the modifications and changes were only in what we're referring to as external aspects, the order, etc. But in terms of the words themselves, maybe they're exactly the same words. What is the background to this question? We have mentioned on many occasions, and it's something that uh, my uncle Rav Kuperman Zatzal would speak about uh, very often, <coughs> is we need to understand that the words of the Torah itself, so to speak, and the words of the Torah quoting someone else's words are not always exactly the same. Now, of course, to, to be uh, absolutely uh, emphatic on this point, if a letter from either of them goes missing, the Sefer Torah is, is, is finished. It's, once again, it's all part of Torah in terms of what Hashem wants to include. But he wants to include his words, and he wants to include their words. Their words and his words are not always the same. Sometimes they're even contradictory to each other especially when, when they start lying or making things up. A, a case that will illustrate this very, very clearly, the beginning of Parshas Miketz, Pyro's dreams about the cows. Where is Pyro standing, the beginning of that dream? We actually have two versions of the dream because we have it in the Torah's narration, and then we have it in Paro's uh, uh, telling over. But they're not the same. The Torah tells us that Paro was, in his, in his dream, he dreamt that he was standing al Hayor over the Nile. But when he retells his dream to Yosef, he doesn't say that. He's saying that he was standing al Sfas on the banks of the Nile. He didn't want to say that he's standing on the Nile because the Nile is a deity. And whereas Paro himself may fancy himself as someone who's over the Nile, that's not the type of thing that you want to tell this yeshiva bocher who just turned up out of uh, prison uh, to confess all of your um, megalomania. So, so he modified it a little bit. So that's very interesting because... Should we ask, where did Pyro dream that he was standing? We know the right answer. Which means Pyro, what he said wasn't true. Having said that, the Torah wants you to know what he said. 
So it's true that he said it, it, that he was standing on the banks of the Nile. It's just not true that he dreamt it. Imagine a person in the interests of aligning these two verses. So he modifies Paro's words to say, I was standing over the Nile. And he leaves out the word sfas. So that's so fair. So Paro's words are now closer to the truth and the whole Sefer Torah is possible because the Torah doesn't want you to hear Paro telling the truth. The Torah has already told you the truth. You need to learn other lessons from the fact that Paro felt that he needs to bend the truth for this insignificant uh, slave because... <coughs> so the two are not the same. Not fully. There's the Torah's own words and there's people's words that the Torah includes. But at the same time, and this is an extremely important however. At the same time, as, these, as the words that the, pe- the Torah quotes from people, they're the people's words, but they're phrased in the way the Torah wants to phrase them. They are a direct quote from the person. It doesn't make them a verbatim quote from the person. Because it could be that the Torah itself had chooses to, to present their words in a way which teaches you other things, perhaps even things that they could, would never have imagined or being revealed through their words. Aside from the fact that if you're power, you weren't speaking in Hebrew anyway, but assuming that you can have an absolute uh, accurate translation, there's still a difference. Because we know that every letter of the Torah has Kedusha, and every word of the Torah is open to many levels of interpretation. Shivim Panim La Torah, Pshat and Remez and Drash and Sod, and the words of other people that are brought into the Torah also are are capable of being interpreted in this way. Are we to say that someone like Esau or Lavan independently, in casual conversation, formulated their words in a way which then lends them to be be explained in this way and and give out so many levels of of information and levels of meaning? That's not not possible. So there is no question (coughs) that... And this is, as we call, we call it, the synthesis, because on the one hand, it's the person's words. It's not the Torah's words. But if, when the Torah brings it in, the Torah formats it in within Torah phraseology and terminology, bringing it up to that level, which then can then beam out all those, those uh, forms of meaning. So there is a major change within the words of people in order to be given entry and, and to be naturalized, so to speak, within the within the, the uh, ultimate level of expression of the Torah. <clears throat> the question, of course, is, coming back, and with this we, we end the first segment of the, of the shir, the question is, what about Moshe? That, that is the background to the question. In other words, are we to say that, because the Malbim has told us that Hashem told Moshe to say it somewhat differently than he originally did, is that only with regards to what to say, or even how to say it, could it be that even Moshe's words, no one got higher than Moshe, but even Moshe's words, there was a gap that needed to be closed and there was a rephrasing and re, um, uh, <coughs> exactly the way that uh, things were expressed? Or is it possible, as the Chassam Sofer actually says, that Moshe had reached a level where he was able to independently intuit if he, if he put all of his faculties uh, into it as to how something in the Torah, I mean, he was so identified and absorbed so much Torah that, that uh, when he wished to present words and wished to present them with optimum Torah uh, content and power and voltage, 
he actually was able to intuit how to, which, in which case, nothing needed to be changed from whatever was to be included in the Chumash Tevar, which is a very big Chiddush, but the Chassam Sofer, as we know, is capable of saying very big Chiddush. So, again, these are our, our comments with regards to the opening psukim. Very important discussions with regards to Torah generally and, and the, the place that Chumash Devarim takes within that. From here, we, we broaden out a little bit the opening psukim of Chumash Devarim because we know that they are words of rebuke to the people. Devarim begins with rebuke. And as we will see, there are many lessons. I think the, to learn the beginning of Devarim is not just learning Torah. I say not just learning Torah. It's not just to understand the Pesukim. It's to learn the art of rebuke. Rebuke is as much an art as it is a, a science in the sense that there is a certain sensitivity that one needs in so many ways. And let us see how uh, Moshe teaches us that. All of these things. So the first thing we note, and I would like to identify four elements, four lessons in the art of rebuke that one can learn from Moshe's opening words here. And then I hope after that to see, try and identify where they come from. (coughs) The first, as Rashi tells us, is a question of timing. (coughs) Because in Pasuk, Gimel, we've, we've seen Pasuk Gimel, but from a very, with different emphasis, but here the beginning, the, the, the time stamping. Pasuk Gimel says, In the 40th year, in the 11th year, Moshe gives them tochacha. Rashi comments, We see from here, <coughs> he only gave them tochacha close to his passing from the world. And Rashi explains why, the reason why, is that he shouldn't have to give them tochacha repeatedly. Delay it as far as possible. We see significantly, we alluded to this, we referred to it just before, for Rashi, the places mentioned, it's clear the distinction, that the, place, the places that are mentioned in Pasuk Aleph are not places where Moshe originally gave this rebuke. Rashi understands that Moshe saved the rebuke until, until the, the, the end. So all those places in Pasuk Aleph are places to which he's referring when he gives his rebuke. But it's all happening right here, and it's happening <coughs> almost at the end, so that he shouldn't, shouldn't have to repeat himself. Now this is very interesting, because how much practically can we learn about rebuke from here? Seemingly nothing. Because if we know any of the halachas and guidelines about rebuke, it's not like this at all. Imagine, in our experience, what is rebu- if you see a person doing something wrong, unfortunately, you have to rebuke them, okay, in the right way, etc. But that's when? Then! You can't say, well, they're doing something wrong, but maybe I should just wait till shortly before I die, because I don't want to have to like, say this the whole time. That's, that's not acceptable. And moreover, one needs to be prepared to rebuke as, 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 as much as possible. Again, hopefully it will have a good outcome. But, and here's Moshe, I only want to say this one, so I'll leave it, and one should be enough. Uh, 
how does that square with everything we know about, about how rebuke is, is meant to go? But Rabbi Yaakov Milisa, the author of Nesiva Samishpat in his Perush Nachlas Yaakov on the Torah, explains <coughs> that actually the, the tochacha here, Moshe's rebuke, is very different than our rebuke in our experience for a very simple reason. In fact, it, the reason has already been expressed in the question. We encounter rebuke if you see a person doing something wrong in real time. You have to stop them. Moshe's goal in the beginning of Devarim is not to stop anything that is going wrong. It's to prevent it from going wrong again. In other words, certainly according to Rashi, the eagle has been done. Miraculum have been done. It's not about preventing a disaster. It's about lessons learned from that disaster. That's very different. Many of these people were not even there when these Averas were done. As, as we said, the Eagle was in year one. If you're less than 40, you weren't even born when that happened. And all of a sudden, Moshe's rebuking you. What did you ever do wrong? It's not rebuke in terms of saying you did, a, you did the wrong thing, you as, as a generation. But the Jewish people did, and you're the next generation. Pay careful attention. This cannot be repeated. That type of message actually only should be said once. There's no... There's no disaster at hand there's no crisis at the moment it's with an eye preventing it in the future it should be said once and choose your timing correctly so Moshe says the timing is is um, I want to leave it to, to, to late not too late but late and and that will be the optimum timing and so <coughs> can we learn from Moshe for our experience of rebuke yes and no no in the sense of don't leave it till just before you die, but yes in the sense of think about when the timing is right. Because sometimes there's a good time, sometimes there's a bad time. You have to use your seichel in terms of knowing when, uh, when it is that you should say what it is that you want to say. So this is <coughs> the, first, the first element, an eye on timing. The second element of, of the art of rebuke, respect. Respect for the one you're rebuking. Where do we see this? We go back to Rashi in Pasuk Aleph. And Rashi says, again, we've, we've previewed Balper, that Rashi's really just, Moshe's just saying a list of names and their references to the thing they did wrong. So as Tochocha goes, it, Moshe isn't really very explicit here in Rashi's words. These are words of rebuke. Moshe mentions all of the places where they angered Hashem. But that's why Moshe is not explicit. He mentions Dizahav, he mentions Paran. He doesn't say, you sent Meraglim, you made the eagle. He doesn't say that. He, re- he refers obliquely to those episodes by mentioning the name of the place where they occurred. <coughs> he only alludes to the wrongdoing. Out of, in, re- in recognition of the honor of the Jewish people. Now, what's the moral of the story here? 
there's the moral of the story that whenever you rebuke someone, only rebuke them in, in code. Only rebuke them in remez form. <coughs> Clearly not. It tends to be the case that people who are in need of rebuke are adept in avoiding it even when it's explicit. Certainly, if it's just code, they, they will, it, nothing will really make a difference. So what's the takeaway here? <coughs> and moreover, as Mepharshim point out, it isn't too long before Moshe goes into uh, excruciating detail about many of these episodes. Yeah, I mean, you have verses and verses about the Miraclin. There's no code there. And later on, Parshas Ekev, you have a, a, a real explicit and detailed uh, revisiting of the, of the Chet Egal of, uh, of all everything that happened there. There's no remez there. So make up your mind. Are you taking the path of illusion or are you taking the path of, of explicit direct uh, confrontation? <coughs> but the point, as the morale, as the morale explains, is that, of course, when in the fullness of time, you will need to get down to details. But the critical question is, how do you open? Because the opening sets the tone. And if you don't set the tone as one of respect and recognition of the honor of the one that you're rebuking, so your words are a waste of time, or worse. Because why would they ever receive something from you if they get a message from you that you're not really worth anything? If you, if, because if you're a failure, so where's the room for improvement? And that's really the Yetzirah of, of rebuke, is really to make the other person feel like they've been... Like the, the, there's no way, there's no way forward for them. They're they're hopeless, and um, the best they can do is, is give it the office, because as a going concern for themselves, nothing is happening. That that is disqualified. That's that's absolutely uh, unacceptable for tochacha. Tochacha, if you say what a person is doing something wrong, can only be against the canvas of your of your expressed belief that they can do better. Pointing out someone's mistakes is only acceptable with a view to correcting them. So you have to start with covert. You have to start by showing that you do respect them. As if to say, you, and you expect more from them. And they should expect more for themselves. They're respectable people. They're not, they're not hopeless. <coughs> and that is the second idea that uh, we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. Tochacha should always be prefaced and couched against and set within um, an atmosphere of respect. We learn that from no less than Moshe himself. What is the third idea about Tochacha? Loss. In Pasuk Beis, and it's fa- what's fascinating about Rashi's comment to Pasuk Beis is that it just seems to be a, a geographical statement, but for, for Rashi, it's part of the Musr. It's part of the the, the rebuke, 11 days from Chorev. That's not just the Torah telling us where they are. This is 11 days from Chorev. It's part of the rebuke. As Rashi says, Moshe says to the Jewish people, you know, it's taken us 40 years to get here. And 40 years minus a little bit to get from Har Sinai to here. Har Sinai is not that far away. It's 11 days away. And that's how long it should have taken, if not sooner. But something went wrong. And, and here you are. Look at where you've been for the last 40 years. <clears throat> Why is this such an important part of the rebuke? Because if sometimes rebuke can purely take the form of right and wrong. As if to say, you're in the wrong. 
Okay, person doesn't like to feel like they're in the wrong. Person doesn't like to be in the wall. So, and therefore it becomes, uh, it becomes you and them and, uh, and right and wrong and then let them make their decision. What can bring about a betterment of someone is not just telling them they're wrong and not even just telling them that they're wrong and they could do the right thing. Showing them how much, how much the path that they're on has caused them to lose. Because no one likes to lose. Everyone wants to succeed. And therefore, as, in, as an, an impetus for them to try and do better, let them show the way that you're going now. Look, says, says Moshe, I, 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 I will tell you that what you did was the wrong thing, but it's not just only the wrong thing. Look at what it did to you. You've been draying around in the, in the midbar for 40 years now because of that. Is that, is, is that the way that you want to be? And that's why <coughs> the third uh, pillar here of Tochacha is, is uh, understanding that you haven't gained. It didn't really bring you much nachas. And indeed, when we say, you know, the vidui coming up to not too far away, but uh, uh, on, on the, the days of Slichus, etc., we always conclude by saying, we did the wrong thing and velo shavalanu. And, and it didn't work out for us. Didn't, didn't work, certainly didn't work out as, 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 as well as we thought it would. We had a nice picture painted uh, for us by the Eight Sahara, and he didn't deliver. He charged for delivery, but he didn't deliver. And that's a very powerful part of, of the, the idea of Tochacha. And finally, care. Does the one who's giving Tochacha, does he care about the rebuked party? There's an amazing Rashi, and again, these are all Rashis, and they're in the opening verses here. <coughs> Pasuk Dalet says, Acharei hakoso esichon Mori, describing again, seemingly chronologically, after he had uh, smote and defeated Sichon and Og. Why is the Pasuk telling us this? Because again, Moshe waits until it's clear to the people that everything he's doing is for their best interest. That it shouldn't be that the people say, well, Moshe doesn't care about us, and what did he ever do for us, and therefore, uh, why should we listen to him? So Moshe says, no, I've waged wars on your behalf. Sichon and Og. And Moshe begins to conquer the, the land of Israel for the Jewish people, at least the beginnings, or more correctly, remove the impediments to entering the land of Israel, even though he himself knows that he's not going in. Now is a good time to give Tochacha. When it's eminently clear <coughs> to the rebuke party that the one who's giving the rebuke cares and, and, and has the best interest at heart and can even show that and demonstrate that in action, that's when Tochacha will be well received. And that is the fourth pillar of Tochacha. Where does this come from? So if we could just summarize them, just there is the issue of finding the right timing. <coughs> There is the issue of respect. There is the issue of loss, showing the, the person how much they're losing out, and the issue of care between the mochiach and the mochiach. I think there's room to say that one can see the roots of all of these pillars in the very first tochacha. And when I say the very first tochacha, I'm referring to the very first Tochacha in history, which was on the very first day of history. It's Hashem's rebuke to Adam.
and the way that Hashem dealt with Adam and Chava after their fall. And that takes us all the way back <coughs> to Parshas Bereshis. And let us see how this works. What's very interesting is that when uh, Adam and Chava sin, and Hashem has wishes to have words with them, he has what to say to them. He does not speak to them straight away. The very next, the, the, what immediately follows the, the eating from the eight sadas is uh, they see they see their nakedness. They're conscious now of that of that that's uh, something that's embarrassing for them. So what do they do? They take those fig leaves and they cover themselves up, minimally, but but significantly. And what then? What happens? And then and then they hear Hashem. Hashem is uh, wants to speak to them. But what does he want to tell them? He wants to tell them that they've done something wrong. What would be the optimum time to impress upon them just how far they've fallen? Surely, (coughs) it's before they've been able to get themselves together. Why not straight after the time that they ate from the eight sadas? At that time, they're in their full disgrace. The fall is is, uh, absolute. That's the time. And make an impression. And what do we see from Hashem now? That's not the time. Because if you approach them to admonish them before they've had time to reclaim some of their dignity, there's no one to talk to. There is no hope of a positive outcome because you have reduced them to an absolute shattered um, mess. And, 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 and how, can they, how can they move forward from that? On the contrary, <coughs> if the full brunt of their, of their disgrace is laid out for them absolutely, it can be an experience from which they will never recover. And therefore Hashem says, I'll wait. I'll wait for them to get themselves together a little bit. They need to, to reclaim some of their dignity. And then we have what to work with. And, and they know that I waited for them. And what, and what does that tell them? It tells them, Hashem, I don't want you to, to, to uh, dissolve in disgrace. Actions have consequences. You need to confront them. But, but I waited for you to get yourself together. Mindful, it's, it's <coughs> really my Indian. There was a time in, in uh, the yeshiva <coughs> where Rameh Chodesh was the mashkiach, which could make it one of two yeshivas, Chevron or Ateris Yisrael. And one of the brachim was unfortunately helping himself to milk in a way that, uh, from the yeshiva, which was somewhat uh, uh, beyond what, uh, you know, taking a bag here and there. And there were certain people who felt that they sussed out when it would happen. And they, they had this idea to, 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 to pounce on him in red-handed, as he was and Rebbeir Chodesh said emphatically, you can't do that. And he quoted this Rashi. He said, if, if, you, if you catch him when, in the act, the most that you can hope to achieve is to save yourselves a bag of milk. But you will have lost a human being because there's no, there's no, how will he recover from that? You've got to find a different time. Let him take it. We'll, 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 we'll find another way. And, and he said, you cannot get, give a person rebuke unless they have a fig leaf to hide behind. 
So this is the, the issue of respect and also of, of timing. Hashem waits. He waits for the, for the time that it will work. What about care? In time, Hashem himself makes clothing for Adam and Chava. Those famous kosnos or. <coughs> says the Pasuk, Vayas Hashem Elokim la'adam ishto kosnos or vayal bishem. It's in the end of this, the third parak of Bracious. Uh, he made for them kosnos or, whatever kosnos or means. Clothing of leather, clothing for their skin, whatever it means. There's many different interpretations of what kosnos or means. But I think no less significant is the final word of the verse. Vayal bishem. He dressed them, which is incredible. Because once again, here is Adam and Chava at the time of their disgrace. They need new clothes. So I think in, in the cool atmosphere, which must have prevailed post-rebuke, so if they need new clothes, so, so I think it would be understandable if Adam made them the clothes, threw them on the floor in front of them and says, here's your new clothes, get dressed. Hashem made them the clothes. Vayal bishem. If we, I, I don't even know how to picture it, but, but you know, somehow that Hashem dresses them. But what is that? That's an act of care. But what is it telling them? Tell Hashem is saying, "I'm about to punish you because because you did the unacceptable, and actions have consequences." But I still care. And and you need to know that, otherwise, where is the impetus to to do better? The word vayal bishem, I think, is the underrated word. In that verse, who dressed Adam and Chava? Hashem did. Amazing. And finally, the issue of loss. And this is a Chiddush uh, coming. <coughs> to be confronted with what, with what one has lost. Where do we see that? There is an amazing comment of the Radak. We, we have the commentary of the Radak. To, he's famous for his commentary on the Navi, on Navim, But we also have his commentary on Chumash Bereshis. Uh, we don't have anything else, I don't believe. I don't know whether that means he didn't write yeah. anything else. I'm sure there are people who know that, <coughs> either yes or no, or they, they think they know. But uh, either way, what we do know is that we have his, uh, his parish on the Chumash Bereshis. When, when Hashem sends Adam and Chava out of the uh, Gan Eden, the entrance is then blocked. Who is it blocked by? By the most elaborate thing you can imagine. Two Kruvim. They have flaming, revolving swords. They stand at the entrance. It's, apparently, the moral of the story is you shouldn't go back into, into Ganeda. But aren't there, aren't there lower key ways to affect that, to, uh, equally effective? Just, just seal up the entrance. It's such a high-end message. It's such a high-end production. To prove him there. That's, that's their job now. They have these revolving swords. I mean, it's a real production. What's it all about? The Radak says an unbelievable thing. We never find <coughs> that, that Adam reacted with tshuva when he was confronted. Look at the psukim. He never says, I made a mistake. He never says, I did the wrong thing. He never says, I'm sorry. Now, Radak is looking at the psukim. He's confronted. He, may, he, he, he blames it on Chava. She blames it on the, on the Nachash. Everyone gets punished. And the next thing we know, they're thrown out. But there was never any type of coming to terms from their part and recognizing that they've done something wrong. And even when they left, we still don't have it. When did it happen, says Radak? You know when it happened? When Adam looks back at the entrance to the, to the Gan Eden. And he sees 
that there are two Kruvin stationed there with flaming swords in their hands to bar his re-entry come what may. It is the most dramatic way of imparting to Adam, you can't go back there. And hours earlier, that's where he was. Says Radak, what's the goal? To impress upon Adam just how much he's lost. He maybe didn't think too much of it as he was leaving Gan Eden. Ah, maybe one day I'll go back. Uh, in any case, it didn't work out for me so well there, whatever. But, 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 then, but then look, look back and see Hashem has stationed angels with flaming swords to cut you down if you ever try and go back to and Adam said I was just there I can't go back what have I done what, what have I given up on that's where Adam, it was impressed upon Adam just how much he had lost through, through his sin and says Radak that's the point that he did Shuvah because Shuvah comes when you say Velo I thought everything would, would go my way by following my own course with the Itzadas, etc., I lost everything. And that, and, and that was the impetus for Tshuva. So I think what's fascinating is to see the parallel between the themes that are at play in the original Tochacha and the way that Hashem dealt with Adam and Chava with their downfall and what we find at the beginning of Chumash Devarim with regards to how Moshe deals with Bnei Yisrael. That means we call Moshe, he's Moshe Rabbeinu, he's our teacher. He's our teacher not just in terms of the things that he said, but also the way that he said them, the timing he chose to say them, and, and, and so on and so forth. So again, uh, th- there's much more in, in, in Parshas Tevarim, but these opening sukkim tell us so much about, uh, about Chumash Tevarim, about Torah, and, uh, and our own experience in trying to, to use these principles. We'll leave it over here for this evening. Meet again next week. I wish you all a good night and a wonderful week ahead. All the best in Basura's Torah.